Welcome to Feminists Without Mystique, a podcast where we process politics, sex, and the unrelenting fire hose of bullshit in the news through an unapologetically feminist lens. Each week, we begin by venting about the news, go deep on one important issue, call out terrible things happening below the top headlines in a segment called We See You, and then we'll end with something hopeful. Um, and if you're enjoying us, feel free to recommend us to your friends, your family, your coworkers, whoever, or leave us a, a review. Um, reviews are helpful. They help people find us. And you can, you know, write a, a long... <laughs> a long essay about why you love us or don't or like a bcp 1990 exclamation mark exclamation mark exclamation mark exclamation mark did <laughs> quick and concise review marry me i love this podcast you know <laughs> quick to the point um i'm already married but <laughs> if i weren't i'd certainly consider it yeah <laughs> We love, we love those positive reviews. They brighten our, brighten our days and make us feel real happy most of the time. So happy. Um, So there's a bunch of steaming hot bullshit happening in the world right now. Um, Mm -hmm. Address in the future. Um, (laughs) This week we are going to veer into another direction. Um, Inspired by uh, Maria texting me yesterday, the news, uh, that John Mulaney and Anne-Marie Tendler are getting divorced after six years and we're both really upset about it. And then we're like, wow, why are we so upset about this? We should talk about it. So we're going to talk about that and we're going to talk about a couple other um, couples that have decoupled, I, you know, Aida Gates's or potentially recoupled, I Benefer. <laughs> And just get into get into these uh, these occurrences and why why we care, um, you know what's missing in our sad empty lives that we care so much. But yeah, here we are. Uh, so with uh, Malainzi, with John Mulaney, but we call him Malainzis, I guess, as of now. I was gonna say, do we? Now we do. <laughs> been decided um, he's been open about the fact that he is an addict specifically alcohol and cocaine um he was sober for over 10 years um and then in december went for a 60-day stay at a pennsylvania uh, treatment center um where you know he voluntarily checked in for alcoholism and cocaine addiction stayed there for 60 days and then um He's now in outpatient treatment, but apparently after that stay, he decided to divorce his wife, Anne-Marie Tendler, um, who's an artist, and she released a statement. I am heartbroken that John has decided to end our marriage. I wish him support and success as he continues his recovery. Um, he's always spoken really fondly of her. I'm not here like judging him, you know, I'm sure through his recovery, you know, things came clear to him. It's just, we're upset about, about this breakup. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, they seem like, they seem like one of those cup, like accessible couples where they're both like, actually, even though they're both, you know, famous and successful and, you know, cool, they're they just seem like real human beings it seemed like their relationship really worked he always spoke so so kindly of her and so it's and they just seem like a stable hashtag couple goals um and obviously we don't know them any any interpretation of a celebrity relationship is uh, is just that it's us 
deciding who they are based on what they say and do, but also based on our own preconceptions and, and mm-hmm. but these ones, uh, they just, they make you sad. Cause it's like, if it can happen to them, it can happen to anyone, you know? Yeah. I mean, some of his funniest bits were like, including her, um, and their relationship and like looking for a house and their dog Petunia and like asking her to marry him and sort of like, that's my wife. I mean, like my boyfriend and I have been joking about that. I mean, even like when I say, cause I very rarely refer to um, my partner as my boyfriend, just cause it seems kind of like John Mulaney said, and we've referenced this so many times. It just feels when you're in a specific type of like, really, I don't know, deep and loving relationship boyfriend feels so um, weird and like small, like my, and then, and you know, kind of like you just, you hear John Mulaney go, my girlfriend, can my girlfriend come? And then that's my wife you're talking about. Like it just, he's so has so imprinted some of his like, he's a brilliant comedic mind, but like she was obviously such a strong presence and an inspiration for him in his life and in his comedy uh, that it is so sad to, to see this. And like you said, I mean, in the, in her statement, it just is obvious that like it's one-sided. And I think whenever, I think that makes these things hard, uh, hard for the, the viewer, the listener uh, of this sort of, it feels kind of like a sad car crash. And I was of course going back to both of their Instagrams, which is like great way to spend my time. Oh yeah. Just scrolling down, down, down and found like the Valentine's day where he posted John Mulaney posted a picture like happy Valentine's day to the coolest, kindest, funniest, weirdest, most beautiful, most artistically inspiring person I've ever met. Happy Valentine's day to a woman who was a cross between Joan Didion and Erica Jane. Anna, you might've well be the sea org because i'd sign a billion year contract to be with you happy valentine's day life would be so stupid without you <sighs> so sad and he said like in the past like she's his hero she's the only one he cares about making him laugh and God, there's so much chaos in this world it's just it felt like they were they were stability which is silly because again we don't know them but from all the information we had <laughs> peeped and gathered um really felt like those those kids were gonna make it um it's just really came out of nowhere and we don't need any more chaos um we obviously wish them both the best and we're not judging it's just no okay we have we have feelings about this (laughs) yeah and it just felt important i think just as with so many other news items and things that we're processing to just sort of take a minute to say these like celebrity relationships actually matter to people and um for whatever that whatever that means um and sometimes certain ones can just make you so much sadder than others. And like this, and I think a lot of the time too, we project our own relationships um, or past relationships um, onto celebrities. Like, you know, I think that for me, like John Mulaney reminds me in some ways of like my ex. I think that he, you know, I think there's like certain, I think we just see like people who struggle with addiction or, mental health issues. And if they're a celebrity that's public about it, just any piece of information you can just take and kind of like put together your own portrait of that person, which like you say, is just totally like unfair to them because it's totally not, (laughs) it's what? (laughs) 
we're projecting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's fully, it, it is. I mean, it's projecting and it's also like a lot of, um, a lot of celebrities are with us in moments that are, um, impactful, like remind us, bring us back to a time and place. Um, and I think like a lot of John Mulaney's comedy was so important to me. And I think he's so important to a lot of people. Uh, and he's like met a lot of us in dark places, um, and kind of like wrapped us in a blanket of his sort of, of his, his perspective, which is feels both like kind of with a lot of comedy, like coming from a dark empathetic place of, of like understanding like the darkest, most intrusive sadnesses and then, um, and people's insecurities and then making us just like laugh about them. (laughs) Like, it's so sad. I hope, you know, and I hope that he's not, this is again, like just me indulging in my own, my own like perspective and, and projection of, of what's going on with him. I hope he's not sabotage, like sabotaging, you know, what he said is the best thing for him in this moment. It just is like, you just want to be like, I hope, I hope this is ultimately what is best for you. And you're making, you know, the right decision. But again, none of our business fully. (laughs) Yeah. Here we are discussing it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, and if, gosh, and if like he realized like, no, this isn't what is best for me and what's right for me. And that's like all that shit he said over the years, like, oh, tough to be her man because it's so often whether it's true or not when celebrities break up it's like a mutual understanding that mm-hmm. we're going apart or headed in different directions or whatever you remain the closest of friends whereas this it was just sort of like he left me mm-hmm. you know that's a bummer and yeah and i can relate to a lot of his stand-up you know this sort of just like insatiable need to be liked while kind of like hating yourself and you know just his his humor and the way i don't know um yeah it's uh it's tough and i hope that they both go on to continue to lead fulfilling lives and you know if they want to be partnered find people to partner with and gosh it's gonna be hard for her to trust though after all those glowing (laughs) all that glowing shit you know which is no shade to him. I'm sure he felt and and meant everything he said about her when he said it. But it's again the chaos and how things change over time. And are any of us really safe? What is forever? He said he'd sign a billion year contract. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, all those like all those words, all those um, you know, uh yeah, I think about all the songs that are like, you know, how, how you know how could you say all these things and were they ever true? And, you know, how do you, how does someone make such a one-sided determination and you really don't have control over what other people decide is best for them, even when you're married. Um, And that can, I, I, yeah, that can feel so, how do you build a foundation? Like what is, (laughs) what is structurally sound? Um, Petunia, their dog. I know. Oh, Petunia. Oh, she's been taking pictures with Petunia on Instagram. So I'm thinking she is going to get Petunia. Been the dog. <laughs> yeah. Oh, bad. Well, he has comedy coming up. Um, <laughs> Hold out. Yeah. Apparently, from the first 
the first night of it, people said it was very raw and honest and and whatnot. So, and he said something about like realize when he was just by himself, realizing he was alone with the person who tried to kill him, stuff like that. So it sounds like um like that vein of comedy, the like dark, real, real shit. Um, <sighs> but sold out as of as of now. Five five showings. Yeah. But, I'm sure it's a a good outlet for him. Yeah, I'm dying to know. I wish I could be a fly on the wall for those sets. Um, But I also, yeah, maybe it's just, maybe he just, uh, just, we just want the best for him. I want, I hope he can work through these demons. Um, I think like um, there was uh, who recently, oh, Gary Gullman had that, um, special, the great depression. Uh, I don't know if you saw it. Like he, that one. he's like a great, um, comedian, but from the Boston area and is, um, yeah, just someone to, uh, who, who spoke really, um, beautifully about depression and, um, uh, and, and, and had it affect his career. Like he kind of was really funny and had a couple of great sets um, or specials and they, he had to um, basically step away from comedy for a few years because it was just like crippling depression. Um, but it's, you know, anyway, it's just, it's just like, just these like incredibly smart, funny people, um, so much talent and uh, just, just, I don't know, just watching and wanting, just so genuinely wanting to see them like succeed and thrive in their lives, like personally and professionally. And it's real. It's just a real thing. Like, yeah. We want it in better news or again, just because we've decided that's good news. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And Jennifer Lopez, the uninitiated or those outside of our uh, age group. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um god these two so they this whirlwind they were together they got engaged in 2002 they postponed their wedding in 2003 like a few days before it uh, and they were saying that they had like these sort of fake locations set up and like fake j-lo brides and all these things that they had to put into it because the media was in such a frenzy about it and then they were like we don't want to do it like this and they ultimately broke up in 2004 um and they cited that the, the paparazzi the media frenzy was it was you know newer for both of them they're both popular as heck before they got together but when they both got together it was one of those relationships where they both kind of catapulted mm-hmm. um and they just weren't difference it just kind of at least that's what they say the cause was which i could believe the paparazzi was on one back then for sure mm-hmm. put them in and uh now it, it appears they haven't made an official statement uh it appears they're back together they're spending time together um at their homes they went on a trip to montana um just the two of them um Matt Damon was interviewed this morning. <laughs> he said he just heard about it. He hopes it's true. Um, he doesn't have the scoop yet, or at least not telling us. Um, and it's, I'm so excited about this, even though like, I don't really like Ben Affleck on it. <laughs> and he, oh, like, 
He cheated on Jennifer Garner for Danny. He's got this awful Phoenix tattoo, which is no reason not to like someone, but he just he sent this like kind of creepy message to this like young woman on Raya. Like <laughs> just all these things where I'm kind of like, ah, I don't hate you, man, but like your vibe, mm, I'm not here for it. Kind of seemed like a bit of a fuck boy. Um and then JLo just got cheated on by A-Rod. Um, she's been engaged and married a bunch of times. Um, seems like a wonderful human. I'm, I stan her. But the two of them together, again, I just... It makes me happy. And it's not that, like, 2004 was this amazing time. I mean, all the issues we have today still existed then. Some of them were worse. But we were younger. We weren't aware of all of it. <laughs> was a simpler time uh, just out of virtue of our our ages and relative ignorance um and it's just like the chaos of this world it's like people with the like tweets of the memes talking about how nature is uh <laughs> you know nature is returning <laughs> to its mm. orders restoring to the world um you know like don't bring back the low-rise jeans but benefer you know especially if it's like the media frenzy that did them in like hey maybe with you know we love the idea of a redemption story of a happy ending and maybe after um all these years and everything they've both been through maybe now they're maybe it was a matter of timing and now they're in a place where where they're able to be together and flourish or maybe it'll crash and burn or maybe they're not together at all and it is just a concocted thing um i choose to believe that they are together and I choose to believe they're happy and I choose to hope that they will stay together forever and defy the odds and we can have Benefer, you know? Yeah, Benefer 2.0 or 3.0 at this point. Um, like, I do think that, yeah, it's been sort of cringe to watch Ben Affleck um, grow or evolve as a human in the public spotlight over the last, like, whatever, five-ish years or, you know, he's really kind of... I mean, the meme of him like smoking outside his apartment, it's just like so funny and like, I don't know, soul crushing, but you know, he's been like spilling Amazon boxes and Dunkin' Donuts coffees outside his apartment. Um, while Jennifer Gardner, um, his, his ex-wife, who's like just an absolute delight has this like kids, like once upon a time, once upon a farm, like her, like fruit, like fruit company, fruit, fruit, applesauce company, whatever, fruit puree for kids. Um, and like does this like pretend cooking show and just has like the most wholesome, like kitchen content usually, um, about how to make like cinnamon strudels with like Ina Garten. I mean, it's just, it's just, um, it's been kind of like cringe to have the two of them and be like, Jennifer's just so, she's just so like, goals as a human and he has been kind of like what has what the fuck has he been doing <laughs> and like why did he have like um a cardboard cutout of Anna de Armas like when he dated her it was just like why did you have that um yeah like you say I don't actively um I didn't I don't really have like ill feeling toward him but um for some reason again like fully, fully and completely not none of my business. And I think I actually was not really looking into the Ben 
and um, JLo stories that much because I figured it might be just like a fake thing or like really quick 24 hour news cycle. And I just thought like, I don't need that type of like excitement in my life just to kind of come like, (laughs) you know, peak and then just flame out in like one day. Um, but no, this feels like maybe it's, a, uh, you know, it seems like, okay, they've stayed in touch and been kind of friends loosely for like uh, the last couple of God decades, um, since they've been really together. And this makes me very happy. And I think kind of in the exact opposite in the way that the John Mulaney split makes me feel very sad in a very specific and like hopeless existential way like wow maybe you know things that just seem so solid and beautiful like you never know you know it's just like um the ben and j-lo makes me feel like you know sometimes life is life is long and has a way of like working itself out so that you can kind of i don't know find find happiness in, in in people with whom you've like just stayed in touch or how, you know, and, and that, that just seems, especially with all these like divorces and of people later in life, which we'll talk about. Um, it does seem like there are a lot of people that are like more in their fifties, fifties plus, um, getting, getting divorced and like kind of redefining their lives slightly later than, they have been has been traditional in the past. Um, and I like, I think that's, that, that feels uplifting. (laughs) And I hope it's the kind of situation where people who know that actually know them, you don't know them are like stoked about it and think it's a good idea. And it's not one of those things where like, Oh fuck. It's like a train wreck (laughs) waiting to happen. You know, hopefully it's, it's, it's a, a move in the right direction for them both. Um, thingies crossed like you would have thought that maybe there would have been some shady motherfucker who like would give like some background comment being like um off the record we're really not thrilled about it but it hasn't seemed like that i haven't seen any like comments like that kind of coming out anywhere really again Uh, through my extensive research (laughs) search and yeah like you said they've been friends for decades apparently he he reached out to her via email and started started uh, the wheels turning on this in February, according to gossip, um, nothing verified. Um, so I don't know. And according to sources, uh, they both seem very happy. So whether they're together forever now, whether they're, you know, just enjoying each other's bodies now, um, here for it, you know, those those crazy kids can make it work. Maybe just maybe there's hope for the rest of us, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It seems like JLo has put up with a lot of shit in her don't life. I don't want him to hurt her. Also, A-Rod, just A-Rod. spare a negative thought for that, that man who really, really, and I don't want to be, you know, <laughs> necessarily shaming him for his like but it seems like he's just like physically and mentally gone downhill since his time um on the yankees where he i don't know i just look at him and i'm kind of like what ha- what happened to you <laughs> you're weird j-lo or anyone else your monogamous relationship but like 
don't do it and apparently she's still cordial with him too they went out to dinner as friends and he's got a a reputation for maintaining really good friendships with her exes especially mark anthony because they have kids together but um Mm-hmm. She just seems like a really great person and she's also like like an aging like a fine wine um so mm-hmm. jayla's happy i'm happy you know <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah yeah well cool cool so that's that and then here's one that's like i'm pretty generally ambivalent about um but interested um is the bill and melinda gates split i think this one is a little more um interesting and i like feel like i have like this like totally weird smirk on my face but it's just like interesting more because we're in seattle and like the bill melinda gates foundation is a big um presence here bill gates obviously mr seattle one of the like tech like founders of Seattle essentially just kind of can't go two steps without being aware of like what he's brought into the world, but specifically where we live. So, um, and their foundation and their philanthropic work, um, is a big part of this city, the state. So it's just kind of feels, it it seemed to make international waves instantly, but it it feels like it's definitely going to be a lingering big piece of news in this city specifically. I had, I used to work at the Gates Foundation. I had some friends reach out to me. It's like, I don't, that's me great y'all I don't <laughs> I wasn't sure I was yeah I was sort of tiptoeing around that like well we <laughs> I mean what we do know is that like he has a reputation for being kind of like you know has to be the smartest guy in the room can be kind of manipulative has like a bit of a temper a little bit of a, a little bit of a dick sometimes um has done a lot of good work but I mean even the existence of the foundation was Melinda's idea um and he's still a billionaire. It's like you can get rid of more of your money. But he has done, I don't want to like shit on shit on the work of the foundation. There has been a lot of good work they've done. Um, but people on the inside, which was not me, were not surprised. And so they officially announced the split on May 3rd, saying that we no longer believe we can grow together as a couple in this next phase of our lives. Um, but apparently Melinda has been meeting with divorce lawyers since 2019. Uh, mm-hmm. That her marriage was irretrievably broken. And uh, a big catalyst for this was the fact that he had Bill Gates had spent time with Jeffrey Epstein mm-hmm. for that, um, which is understandable. And he's always said, like, we had no relationship. I tried to partner with him on philanthropy. It's also like, did you have no relationship or did you try to partner? <laughs> but if it's enough for your wife to be like, mm. I don't know about that then i don't know and also uh i haven't verified this so <laughs> pure goss goss but someone told me that in the um in their like prenup it was uh, a part of it was that i'm so irresponsible a part of it was <laughs> bill gates had to be allowed to spend um I don't know if it was a week or a month i think it was a week with his ex-girlfriend each summer yes i i actually that is true i saw that first i saw it on twitter and i was like what the actual fuck and so i did do like i guess the like double checking of okay like but it was reported um and confirmed like in a profile 
10 or God, maybe even like 20 years ago, but still it was like, yes, it was his ex who he, um, had like a good relationship with. And yeah, he included that as like something that was, yeah, part of the prenup, which is, um, you know, like if I'm being nice and generous, it seems kind of evolved to be like, this person's important to me. And I would like, but it's like, but you want like a weekend. Yeah. And it's also like, if you have a relationship, a friendship with an ex, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, depending on who your exes are. But if you need to put it in your prenup, like that seems like a red flag to me, you know? Yeah. If there were an issue with it or if Melinda wasn't into it, he'd just be like, well, you signed the document. Like, I don't know. It just seems like a weird thing to include in a legal document that you're allowed to do that. Yeah. Either have this relationship with this important person in your life, like cool and your wife's cool with it or don't, but like mandating it is just like a little peculiar to me. Yeah, I agree. I'm not a billionaire. You're not a billionaire. (laughs) It's also interesting because it's like after, you know, over 25 years together getting divorced, a lot of people are like, wow, that's a long time. You're kind of old, but it's getting more, uh, more common for people later in life to get divorced. Um, You know, people speculate it's due in part to living longer and, you know, having more, you know, realizing, and these people that got married a long time ago and there are less options potentially, um, now, you know, they're getting older and realizing like, Hey, I can do what I want. And maybe that doesn't involve this other person. So overall divorce rates are dropping, but they're rising among uh, people in their age bracket, which is, which is interesting. Um, I think no matter what age you are, if you, the best thing for you and your partner to get divorced, like feel free to do it. I just hate how there's all these memes about like Bill Gates is going to be like a player now and everyone wants to fuck Bill Gates when it's like, I don't know. I think Melinda can get out there and get it, you know? I don't. <laughs> yeah. I also saw like a hilarious TikTok of like this guy in his twenties or thirties who had these like a bunch of like older computers and he just like was putting them out outside his house. And he was like, Oh no, I hope I don't lure some like, newly single billionaire divorcee, you know, like any look kind of was like winking at like winking at Melinda, which I thought was kind of like, it was, it was funny, but it's also, it seems like, I I mean, I'm excited to see what she does because whatever she gets from this divorce, um, you know, kind of, I I just have a feeling it's going to be kind of Mackenzie Bezos vibes where it's like, now I can actually kind of do other things that I want to do and I'm free to live my own life. And maybe like, I don't have to necessarily fully conform to whatever, like my husband's vision of, of everything needs to be. I mean, um, it's, yeah, it'll just be interesting to see what she does or what she doesn't do. I mean, who knows? It's just, it's just kind of, it remains to be seen, but I, I'm excited for her. Bullshit, I'm sure. She, I mean, she has her own foundation. She's gotten in the last years really focused on uh, women and girls' uh, issues, social issues, health issues around the world. So I imagine she will be spending more time and funneling more resources into that. So here for it. Mm-hmm. Amazing how interested interested we all are in these things and like the more dramatic they they get or the more juicy hot goss we can get about it, the better. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, you and I are talking a bit about how um 
how exhausted mentally and emotionally we have been. I mean, the, there are atrocities happening in the world and our own country constantly. Um, but it's when Trump was president, it was it just felt like red alert, red alert, red alert all the time. Um, and there are still incredibly important pressing life or death issues happening constantly, but there's not this fear that the head of our country is going to somehow like blow everybody up. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's almost like I can and need to focus on these sort of inconsequential things. It's just like a little like brain nap. Um, like Real Housewives of Beverly Hills is coming back uh, May 19th. And I am so, so looking forward to it. Uh, so much. I am over the moon about it. I'm going to be at a cabin for my husband's birthday and I'm absolutely going to sneak away and watch it. Like, I mean, they're going to get up early or I don't know, distract him with, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm absolutely going to be watching. Um, and I'm like, genuinely, I started following them all on Instagram during the pandemic. I used to watch Real Housewives shows, but I started again in the pandemic. And recently I've been really diving into their Instagrams and their lives. And I'm very invested in these women that I do not know. Um, I am invested in the relationships we just talked about. It's like, it's just, it feels like a harmless way. It's just like harmless brain candy. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's also like our lives haven't been that interesting. Like what the fuck have we been doing? We're not interesting in a good fun way anyway. Um, so it is kind of it's it's there's something entertaining about transporting yourself to these like celebrity lives for a minute um, or these real stories or like you know books or fake stories or whatever um, there's just something there's something about it something about that brain candy right now that's just hidden yeah I agree um it feels like we've done, uh, you know, there was a big push uh, to keep the Trump, to keep everyone aware of what was going on in the Trump administration, like call Congress so many times over and over for various reasons, petitions, money, and, and all of that stuff is still needed. But right now is a moment where we can all kind of like it's a place, it's a position of privilege, but to sort of exhale for a second, because you, you have to kind of gear up for the next round and the next round is going to come so quickly. You know, the midterms will be so, are going to be so important. Um, there's already, there's so much going on that needs our, our attention, our money, our empathy, our energy. Um, and all of that is still happening now, but, but you can't take absolutely everything on at once you'll, you'll explode. Um, so, um, it has been interesting. Uh, <laughs> like even my therapist made this like funny comment where I, cause I said, like, I've been focusing, I've tried to like, listen to less news daily. Like I don't listen to up first and NPR as much. It used to be like every hour I'd be like, you know, tell me the news, what's going on. Um, and like, I wouldn't miss, you know, a pod save America or like, you know, variety, the daily. And now I'm a lot more, um, I think just like careful about which dailies I'm listening to and when, and like trying not to 
put too much on my plate emotionally in terms of the news because it is a lot. I mean, and I'm, it's not that I'm not paying attention to it, but it's that I just need, um, I need a break and I need to focus on like myself a little bit and like, what, what do I, what do I want for myself and in my life so that I can be better so that I can maybe like give more time or money or whatever. Um, and I think that requires like allowing space to just turn on like an audiobook or read. And for me, my guilty pleasure recently has been, um, the Bridgerton series of novels. Um, and I've just sort of skipped to, after the first season um, of, you know, whatever happened in the first season of Bridgerton, but I'm, I'm reading about like the, I read the Viscount who loved me and like an offer from a gentleman, like in the last week or less than a week, um, just because, oh, it's just so easy. It's so easy to digest and it feels good and it feels heartwarming and just, and, and um, it's nice to have something that isn't hard. <laughs> to focus on just like give yourselves a little something and we're not saying turn a blind eye to everything that's going on in the world Absolutely not. like you haven't done a bystander intervention training do that if you haven't donated to some of the causes in india you can check out keto k-e-t-t-o um if you're not aware of what's going on in colombia or with um what israel is up to with palestine you know look into that too and see how you can how you can help but we're just saying that the world is always going to be a fucking trash fire and you know it's we just have needed to in addition to staying up to date on what's happening and helping in the ways you can we also need our our brain candy or we will combust and not be able to do anything at all exactly exactly um and we'd love to hear what your what your um not even necessarily guilty pleasure i've got to find another word for like just like these like what's your brain candy what's your sort of like uh intellectual confection that you're enjoying that's bringing you joy that's like enhancing your life and let us know let us know send send recommendations because i'm I'm certainly like so open to, gosh, it's just, just like anything, anything that's kind of, I, I, I kind of need to be directed kind of like people on Twitter will constantly be like, what are podcast recommendations? You know, like, I feel like I, I, I have a lot of great podcasts that I know are great, but like what other, what else exists that, that we can like kind of play with as we, to, to maintain our sanity in this like long journey towards creating a better, uh, world, (laughs) better, you know, a better country. They're going to need, we're going to need to really, we'll suit up and, and be, I think, I mean, pretty soon we'll, we'll, we'll talk about what's going on in India. And I really like, we'll get into, um, uh, some, a lot of the different international atrocities that have sort of been kind of happening so fast, it's hard to keep up with. And, um, the fight for voter voter rights here in, in the United States. And there's, there's certainly a mountain of stuff to pay attention to urgently. Um, but let us know what's, what's keeping you afloat in, in a fun way. I'm very interested. Let us know. And now for, we see you. 
All right. So there is a Black Lives Matter sign outside uh, Morella Castaneda's home, which attracted a man's attention in the early morning hours when he walked up her driveway, setting off the security alarm on their pickup truck and slamming his fist into the flag draped over the metal garage door. He kicked the front door, shouted at the family inside the home, which included a young child, challenged them to fight and refused to leave. He appeared to be extremely inebriated. Um, Castaneda called 911, but when police showed up, they recognized the man as off-duty officer Stephen Teets. Mm. Responding officers did not check Teets for weapons. Then Officer Schwetz drove Teets to his nearby home, only blocks away from the Castaneda family, and helped the drunk officer to his front door. The officers who interviewed Castaneda did not tell her they had identified Teets as the man who attacked her home. Um... And she, and she says that they violated, and they did violate department policy and Oregon law when they failed to tell her that the suspect lived near her family and carried a firearm as part of his job as an officer. Um, even after telling them her name, eventually they did not tell her that he was a police officer with a firearm. She had to Google him. So her lawyer, Michael Fuller, also says that the police did not document the possible racist motives at play when he targeted Castaneda's home. The responding officers did not turn on body cameras during the investigation, which is not what they're supposed to do. It's required by department policy to turn on your body cameras. And they didn't even write up the existence of the Black Lives Matter flags um, on the property in their reports. It's like they were just trying to water things down so that this officer would not get in trouble, which imagine how Miss Castaneda would feel with that, <laughs> you know, knowing that there's a cop who lives a few blocks away from her. It was challenging them to fight because of her Black Lives Matter flag. Um, awful and terrifying. So thankfully, Teets and the officer Bradley Schwetz do face criminal charges. Um, and a grand jury did indict Schwetz for official misconduct. He was arrested and charged with criminal mischief and early conduct. Um, here's to hoping that charges stick and they are held accountable. So. Ugh, that's so disappointing. It's just like not okay you know the imbalance the imbalance there of like you know you're trying to get justice for yourself and the people who are supposed to be distributing justice equitably lol um are it's like only only concerned with protecting their own um and actively hostile to you know the blm movement uh on the whole so that's super disappointing Okay. Um, I am on a labor kick recently. Um, so the chamber of commerce, um, I guess I just didn't really know what it was. Um, I think I thought that it was like, uh, like some sort of vague, I I thought it was like a government institution basically of some sort. Um, but learned more about it. Um, just because, uh, April, April had below expectation jobs report, uh, a below expectations jobs re- report that came out last Friday. Um, and barely an hour later, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce called for states to stop offering the $300 weekly boost to unemployment insurance payments. And it seemed that they were super prepared for that. Um, they had that statement out within like an hour of the April jobs report. Um, they, The Chamber of Commerce said, quote, This disappointing jobs report makes it clear that paying people not to work is dampening what should be a stronger jobs market. Um, And that was the chamber uh, executive vice president, Neil Bradley. Um, He said, we need a comprehensive 
comprehensive approach to dealing with our workforce issues and the very real threat unfilled positions pose to our economic recovery from the pandemic. Um, the Chamber of Commerce, so they're like an influ, they're like basically just a, a, a lobbying firm. They're an influential business trade group, um, and they have significant interest in removing these unemployment uh, insurance benefits because they represent a lot of their big clients who pay people minimum wage or less jobs. Um, AOC, as always, was ready with a great uh, clapback to their, you know, quote about getting rid of the the um, unemployment unemployment insurance. She said, fun fact, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is a secretive business lobby that supported a $3 million effort to primary me out of office last year because I stand up to Wall Street. They lost, smiley face. Walmart was outed as a secret client. If unemployment insurance, if unemployment income is greater than wages, the solution is actually to pay a living wage. If you're interested in learning more about their secretive bizarre lobbying operation, check out this archived piece from Mother Jones. And so she links to that. And then um, the uh, article is about how the chamber had been routinely inflating its membership numbers by 900%. And she said, the moral of the story, this is AOC, the moral of the story is that the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is a corporate lobbyist group with zero credibility in helping everyday people. Um, huge big box corporations hire them to lobby Congress into prioritizing profits over people and the planet. Ignore them. So I thought that was, as usual, AOC, very succinct, claps directly back at them and their um, sort of ridiculous uh, excuses for why the jobs numbers were so low. Um, the Biden administration pointed out that these numbers um, were, since their April numbers, it was before uh the vaccine was available to everyone um, across the country. Um, I also found out that the Chamber of Con Com um, Commerce is the most powerful um, trade group in the nation. Um, the only organization that spends more um, in terms of lobbying uh, government policy is the National Association of Realtors, which was sort of interesting. That's according to the Center for Responsive Pol uh, Politics. Um, so lots of companies have close ties to the Chamber of Commerce, Google, Target, Microsoft, IBM, um, and uh there's a lot of different efforts now to try to get these companies that say that they care about, you know, social equity and voting rights to distance themselves from the Chamber of Commerce. Because guess what? The Chamber of Commerce is totally on board with all these new voter restriction laws being passed in Florida and Georgia and Ohio. Um, just as a side note, because there's this whole conversation going on around labor right now, $300 a week, which you would get in un unemployment insurance. Again, that's provided that you don't have a job and that you're, you know, th there are some, some strict, um, strict requirements for being able to qualify for that unemployment insurance right now, which by the way, it, it ends in like September. It is not like this ongoing thing that has been passed in perpetuity. Um, $300 a week is $750 an hour, assuming that you're working 40 hours a week, which a lot of minimum wage workers work like two jobs, double shifts. In fast food, you know, there's you're allowed to actually legally pay less than these minimum wages of $750. You can make sometimes make like $3 an hour um, because um, there's an argument that you're making more an hour because of tips, which in a lot of instances is like total bullshit. Um, so 
I just was kind of like grossed out and I'm kind of disappointed in myself for, for realizing how little I actually understood about the chamber of commerce. It seems like just by the name, it has more authority, more like of a governmental, um, institutional authority. And really it's like, no, this is, this is like a, um, a lobbying firm. Um, and I also just, cause <laughs> This whole conversation has been also grossing me out because it feels like we are uh, a lot of the news is basically falling for this narrative that there's the jobs report was low last month because of this unemployment uninsurance. It's not this extended unemployment insurance. It's really like the take is like a lot of the, the takes that were that I, at least I've been reading in the last couple of weeks. Um, and specifically since the job report came out is that essentially it's a, it's a blaming of the workers, um, for not wanting to take these jobs at McDonald's, but it's really that all these low wage jobs, first of all, the, the like the GOP will condescendingly pretend that those jobs are for high schoolers anyway, and that they're not meant to be long-term. This has been like one of those, those talking points that we hear over and over, like, well, you shouldn't even be satisfied with the McDonald's job. You should be, this is not meant to be a full-time job for like an adult person. It's for kids in high school, working their way through college, like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But it's like that, we always knew that that was just a fallacy. I mean, so I think that this is like, we're, we're reaching an important point here where hopefully some companies will be forced to pay their workers more and get this, you know, if, if, if the federal minimum wage won't change, because again, Republicans like don't have any interest in really raising it. Um, hopefully a lot of these major companies will be peer pressured to, uh, bump the minimum wage to something like 15 an hour, which by the way, is still not even close to what, what, what a minimum wage keeping up with inflation would be. That would be around $23 an hour. Um, if, if minimum wage kept up with inflation. So, um, this is a conversation where I feel like we have to just keep holding power to account because, um, it's, uh, dangerous and and we should not allow places like the Wall Street Journal or even the New York Times to continue to have these sort of like ridiculous op-eds that make it seem like the low jobs numbers are because people are lazy. You know, $300 a, a, a week is not a lot. And so if companies can't compete with that, that's the company's problem. That is not a worker's issue. You know, this is like, you shouldn't, no one should be making $300 a week. If, if someone is electing to stay home and try to find a better job at $300 a week, it's because you've actually given workers, as the government has maybe inadvertently given workers something that is what every human being deserves and is the mark of, I think, like a pro- pro- progressed, prog- you know, progressive society, which is a moment to choose, you know, to not be like the proverbial, like wage slave. You can think about, okay, I can breathe. I have $300 a week, which is barely anything really. That's seven fifty dollars um, an hour. But if you have a moment um, to have that supplemented and it's actually, you're making more than you're making at McDonald's and you can think about how to, to apply for a better job at a higher wage, well, first of all, that's the free market at work, baby. And you should, you know, this should be, this is a good thing. This is a good thing, but we can't let the narrative keep being that like, that workers are lazy and that unemployment benefits are uh, 
keeping people at home because they're making more. Like if they're making more at $300 a week, then the problem is with the company, not the worker. We see you. (laughs) The next one is quite related to that. I think I took out all the points you already made though. (laughs) (laughs) So this is calling out um, the conservatives who are getting all riled up um, that people aren't going to work because unemployment is just too sweet. Um, so first of all, you only qualify for unemployment if you were working and lost your job. These people all paid into unemployment while they were working. Um, it's not a quote-unquote handout, and if it were, like, sometimes it would help. Uh, and the quote-unquote worker shortage is overinflated, and where it does exist primarily is around food service jobs, not all jobs. Uh, according to actual data, not your Republican uncle on Facebook, the primary three reasons food industry jobs are going unfulfilled are one, concerns over unsafe working conditions, um, such as, you know, having to work in close quarters, um, you know, and customers who won't wear masks, things like that. Uh, two is difficulty finding childcare, And three is that uh, extended unemployment has actually prompted lots of former food service industry workers to start new skills trainings and are attempting to change careers. Um, and like I said, this is pretty unique to the food service industry. Other jobs that pay $15 and below, like the Amazon warehouses, are not having any issues filling openings. Amazon warehouses and places like that are still getting more applications than they have roles for, which goes to show that people are still willing to work at these lower wages, even though I don't think they should have to. Um, it's just a, there are other confounding factors that are that are leading to this shortage in the food service. And another thing that we see from, again, the data is that the additional weekly unemployment benefits actually boosted the economy. Uh, They led to much of that money being spent on consuming products and services that are labor intensive. So actually lots of jobs that exist now do so because of the unemployment benefits in the first place. So um, they uh, helped the economy, little Republican buddies. And lastly, I will say it again, we should just fucking pay people living wages. Minimum wage is intended to and was created to allow for someone who works a full-time job to live their life, regardless of what that job is. Um, You don't get to pass judgment on somebody for whatever, for what job they choose to work. If they are working and spending their time working somewhere, they should be able to live their lives without having to take on two, three jobs. Um, And if that's what you did, okay, congratulations. But you're a shitty person without empathy if you don't want other people to be able to live lives um, just because you didn't get to do it. So we see you to all of those motherfuckers out there railing against unemployment without any of the facts. Just they don't like the idea of it. Work harder. Me. We see you, dummies. Ugh, we see you. We fucking see you. Um, uh, continuing on the labor kick, um, there, uh, the CEO of the Washingtonian um, ha- basically uh put out this incredibly ignorant and toxic um, op-ed in the Washington Post last week, essentially basically lamenting the idea of a hybrid workspace in the future. Um, And it was also sort of a veiled threat to her employees. Um, The CEO is Kathy Merrill, and she she inadvertently caused like basically all of her editorial staff to um, 
go on a like informal strike last Friday, they all posted the same thing on their Twitter account saying as members of the Washingtonian editorial staff, we want our CEO to understand the risks of not valuing our labor. We are dismayed by Kathy Merrill's public threat to our livelihoods. We will not be publishing today. And absolutely like, you know, this in keeping with this sort of sort of massive imbalance between um, management and labor, uh, Kathy Merrill uh, wrote this ridiculous op-ed where she actually said, um, that she estimates that about 20% of every office job is outside one's core responsibilities, quote, extra. It involves helping a colleague, mentoring more junior people, celebrating someone's birthday, things that drive office culture. If the employee is rarely around to participate in those extras, management has a strong incentive to change their status to contractor. Instead of receiving a set salary, contractors are paid only for the work that they do, either hourly or by appropriate output metrics. That would also mean not having to pay for healthcare, a 401k match, and our share of FICA and Medicare taxes. Um, benefits that in uh, my company's case add up to roughly an extra 15% of compensation. Um, and then she ends by saying, so although there might be some pains and anxiety going back to the office, the biggest benefit workers may for workers may be simple job security. Remember, something every manager knows, the hardest people to let go are the ones you know. So it was just, uh, it did come off as like an absolutely threatening uh, piece of writing where she's sort of opining on the benefits of being in person. But I also think that it brings up a lot of a lot of important, you know, I think what we were just talking about is like blue, a blue collar more, we see you in terms of a minimum wage, the minimum wage discussion and, and unemployment benefits. This is, I think, more of a white collar issue, a little bit more of um, kind of corporate culture. But she's saying quiet the quiet part out loud about what... Uh, a whole lot of like the fluff and the unspoken nature of, of people's jobs. And I think that it's bullshit that we can frankly do away with the idea that, you know, where we should be able to do away with the fact that if you're not going to go participate in like the office birthday, you know, party that you are somehow less worthy of keeping your job and should be bumped to contract status. Um, it's, it's just, I mean, the fact that she felt so emboldened to kind of write this op-ed in this way um, is just just goes to show kind of how cruel and heartless um, the 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 system, the capitalist system that we kind of have right now um, is uh, the world that we all exist in. I mean, it's one thing to have incentives for workers to go above and beyond, but um, I don't think that like. <laughs> This is, this is just, this is not about really an incentive. This is just a, this seems just threatening. <laughs> um, so to Kathy Merrill and her ignorant, toxic um, uh, uh, op-ed in the Washington Post, um, you know, we see you. <laughs> we see you. So a, a few years ago, it was made public, um, Washington Post that the cheerleaders for the Washington football team uh, were subjected to really disgusting and appropriate like parading around for the uh, the club's highest spending ticket holders who are all men at a Costa Rican resort. And then it came out uh, more details of harassment of the cheerleaders, female employees and female reporters at the team's headquarters. Um, Basically, the more that came out about this, the more fucked up it, it was that we learned what it was. 
Um, and then the fucking in the last week, Northwestern University promoted uh, Mike Poliski to athletic director. Mike Poliski, Mike is one of four defendants in a sexual harassment lawsuit filed in January by a former cheerleader from the school, Ian Richardson. He charged that Poliski was obstructive of her complaints about being fondled and peppered with suggestive comments by athletic funders at parties to which the cheer team was required to go. Um, Her claims have been corroborated by all of the former teammates who were asked about it. It's disgusting. I mean, we... (laughs) We have this Me Too movement. There seems to be progress in in some some ways and in some areas. And universities, and particularly sports and universities, just continue to have this huge problem when it comes to it. Um, and to see Northwestern, when there is this very credible claim against Mike Poliski, to see them decide to promote him um, to athletic director, what message is that sending (laughs) you know just like if you're a white dude you know you are innocent until proven guilty if you're anyone else you're guilty until proven innocent and again these these claims are credible everything that's come out from that investigation so far has been credible and it's basically just telling these girls like go fuck yourselves these young women and to promote him to athletic director when he's being charged with obstructing a an athlete from reporting um, sexual harassment and sexual assault, it's just mind-boggling that they would decide, yeah, this guy, let's put him in charge of, of the athletes. No, 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 no. Um, it's just having these women who are, have been disrespected in so many ways in sports, by men and then having those same men, those same specific men in charge of them and in charge of those sports is, it's awful. Um, So we see you to Northwestern University for this fucking ridiculous oversight and to Mike Poliski, you should not be the athletic director anywhere. You need to go and do some learning, some real learning, Mike, as most Mikes do. We see you. That is super disappointing. Very, very disappointing. And it's also like just the basic amount of due diligence is like called for and can't happen. So frustrating. Um, So my last we see you is um, from, uh, I first heard it on the political gab fest of Slate, but then was doing some Googling. Um, There's this article in The Verge that talks about uh, bad software sent postal workers to jail because no one wanted to admit it could be wrong. So this um, is being called, it's, it's a story out of the UK that is being called one of the, maybe the biggest like miscarriage of justice in like modern, I think, UK history, which is sounds in like sounds hyperbolic, but it's a really disturbing story, um, basically where there was this system at the po- that the post office was using from like 2000 to 2014. The system was called Horizon, um, and it was supposed to help um, automate um, different postal systems. But the data was um, from this Horizon system was used to prove that these different um, postmasters and mistresses stole money but they didn't. Um, it was a flawed piece of software that made it look like empl- employees were standing, like stealing like tens of thousands of British pounds. And um, 
the post office was aware basically from the beginning that this was a flawed piece of software from Horizon. It was originally created to um, be used in other sectors. And after realizing that it had a ton of problems, they basically just used it for the post office. Um, And it was an aggressive, uh, the post office was sort of aggressively prosecuting their employees while also insisting there were no, could be no issues with the, with the software, um, making it so that it was a very closed loop. Like there are, um, uh, ways in, in the UK system of law that the post office was allowed to basically be the prosecutor, judge, jury of this whole situation with each person that they were accusing of stealing. Now this happened like they over 700 to 700 plus uh, employees of theirs were, and while they insisted that no, this was not happening anywhere else. And it was just this person stealing. Um, one man died of suicide. Um, one woman was in jail um, for over nine months, taken away from her kids. Um, she like people lost jobs because of these criminal convictions. Um, and like, some like were caused them to go into really poor health. Um, There, it just, it was, it just seemed like um, this, there was no, there, all of the employees, all like over 700 of them, 736 have been cleared of all of these wrong, any wrongdoing. Um, it seems particularly insidious to me because it seems like an organized campaign to prosecute people and admit no wrongdoing. And while you're like losing money because of software flaws, they had an IT, they had different um, IT companies come in to see what was wrong. And then they took the power away from the IT company and said, your findings belong to us. You know, you can't, you know, don't tell anyone about this and, you know, we'll, we'll fix it or we'll figure it out. Um, The Guardian did like a two-part podcast on it that I listened to with horror. Um, And anyway, it's just coming out now um, in the news that there was um, another court of appeal decision to overturn, you know, convictions of some of these um, post masters and mistresses um, to clear them of wrongdoing, to make sure that their criminal records are wiped. Um, And unfortunately, you know, because there were like so many people in these class action, essentially class action lawsuits, um, they only each got maybe like 20,000 pounds in restitution because they all had to split it. Um, And that's, that doesn't make up for all the lost wages for, you know, obviously it doesn't bring back the person who committed suicide. Um, the people who were so stressed that they, you know, have been, have fallen into really poor health. Um, and it's just totally, I think it's, it's shameful. And it's, um, and Boris Johnson weighed in calling it like calling it quote, an appalling injustice. Um, but, uh, it's another kind of reminder too that just with with computer systems, um, you know, it, it, there's something really uh, insidious about um, a company that's continuing to practice um, like malfeasance uh, and actively suppress like the findings of different um, 
IT investigations and while at the same time also actively prosecuting um, their employees and trying to keep everyone siloed so that they didn't understand. They thought they were the only person that this happened to so that there was no um, way for them to all kind of join together and see a bigger picture Um, until, you know, again, like there were just a lot of costly, like it just cost all these people so much. And it's been like, it was 14 or 15 years that the software was like just causing all these all these problems. So um, we see you to the UK post office. This is disgusting. In <laughs> good thing slash cool story time. Yeah. There was a woman on a flight to Hawaii. She's been going on a little vacay and then <laughs> labor um, at 29 pregnant, which is early. Um, she wasn't even aware she was pregnant at all. And she was having um, she thought were really fucking bad cramps, but you no, know, she was giving birth. Uh, and lucky for her, uh, and this is like when a baby is living at 29 weeks, like you're talking about like a three pound um, baby, whereas, you know, babies that full gestation are like, like six pounds. Um, I'm talking about like a, a baby who needs to go to the NICU who has very um, special needs at that point. And lucky for her, there were there was a group of NICU nurses <laughs> going on a little trippy trip. Um, I guess it's a good thing they weren't getting lit <laughs> on their vacation. Um, and they were just boss ass bitches. Um, they helped tie off the umbilical cords. They even fashioned like a little incubator from things that they found on the plane. Um, it was. It was bonkers. They helped her deliver the placenta in the bathroom. Uh, there was also a doctor there helping. Um, so they uh, really got creative. They used like an Apple watch as a heart rate monitor. Um, they made a mini oxygen mask with first aid tape, they made a baby sized beanie out of a sock. <laughs> like they just really went for it. NICU nurses are badass and you know, if they hadn't been on this flight, um, it's very likely that the baby wouldn't have made it. So awesome. Um, you know, it was just nurses week and just, uh, it's a great story, you know, and it's nurses are, nurses are everyday heroes out there. Uh, so shout out to them and what a great, what a great feel good story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, that was so lovely and also like lucky for that woman and also funny um just because oh my god just trying to picture like thinking you're going on a vacation to hawaii and either having to deliver a baby uh or delivering that baby like and just having to fashion all of that like equipment and just you're, you're going with your co-worker buddies on a trip and it's like well i guess work came nuts today um <laughs> great story for them to, to have yeah it's crazy oh my gosh feminists without mystique is a part of the frolic podcast network Today.